you know, I think um, as, as we, we wrestle with, with the times we find ourselves in and we think about the situation of the world around us, it, it just begs the question, what do we do? What do we do as faithful men and women of God? What do we do as a church? What is our response? Uh, what action do we take? Uh, what language do we use? What do we say or what do we not say or do we even speak at all? Um, if you're like me, you've wrestled with all of these things. And, and even these, these words that Jason brought us from Scripture, from Matthew 13, these words of Jesus that, that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man buried in a field. It makes us wonder what in the world is going on and what was Jesus talking about? And I don't know about you, but I think sometimes I forget that when Jesus spoke those words, he was speaking to a people that aren't too far from what you and I are feeling today. I mean, right in front of him, his very audience he was talking to, you know this if you think about it for a second, but these were people who knew injustice. Their streets were lined with crosses. They knew oppression. They were a part of decades of oppression. They were really years and years and hundreds of years of oppression, whether it was Egyptian or Babylonian or Assyrian or the most recent Roman oppression that they lived under. They knew what what it was like. They knew what it was like to be divided by race and class and every other division under the sun. And, And they, maybe even more than us, they wanted justice now. They wanted relief now. They wanted answers now. They wanted the kingdom to come now. And when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is, well, it's not like that. And it's, it's come, but it's coming. It's here, but it's not here. And it's kind of like this mustard seed that a man buried in a field. I don't think that was good news for these people. I don't think it was good news. And even for us today, it kind of feels like, man, where's the good news in this? And you've noticed, right, that we only read half the parable. Um, Because there is good news in the parable. And it's in verse 32 of, of Matthew 13. Jesus says, referring to the mustard seed, says, Though it is the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows... It is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. There's a promise in this parable as well. And it's, it's one of the things that when Corey and I were reflecting on, what, what do we do? It's not, it's not enough to just wait passively. We are called to be uh, part of the kingdom now and the question is what do we do to be part of that well one of the things we do is we believe the rest of this parable and we acknowledge the kingdom when we see it we acknowledge that even in times when it's hard to see that God is at work and that that seed is germinating and moving and and things are happening that we may not that may not be visible to us but that somewhere God's work is happening, and the kingdom is breaking in. And then when there's times that we do recognize it and see it for what it is, I I think we acknowledge it. And we say, there it is. There's the kingdom. There's God at work. There's the heart of Christ moving in the world. And there have been times of that, even over the last few weeks and the tragedies that we've seen. There have been places where we're able to acknowledge 
that God is still moving. There have been moments of reconciliation. There have been uh, incredible moments of prayer and love and mercy shown, even in the midst of incredible violence going on. Acts of something as simple as hugs, right? And smiles and conversations happening that haven't happened before. There are things happening there are moments, and we call those out, and we recognize that the kingdom is breaking in. And we know it's breaking in because we've seen what Jesus does. It, you know, it may be that Jesus is talking about himself in this parable, that his work seems so small, but that that's going to that's gonna blossom into something much, much bigger. For the people he's talking to, this image of the tree may remind them of the words of Ezekiel or Daniel, where, where it a tree like that describes a, a, an empire, something big. Jesus is promising that. It's just not going to look the way everybody expects it to, and that's still true for us today. So one of the things we do is we recognize the kingdom. We have God train our hearts to know that the kingdom of God is not in trouble and to recognize it, but also to recognize that we are citizens of that kingdom now. And this leads to a hard one for me. The second thing I think we do in the face of a lot of this is that we repent. I'll talk talk personally for a minute. It means for me that I repent of all the times that I have chosen the kingdoms of this world over the kingdom of heaven. Chosen my citizenship here over my citizenship in his kingdom. And I've done that in many, any number of ways. I do that when I let fear take over in my heart and I react to things in this world out of fear and I build walls around myself and I, I concern myself with my safety and who I am and I make it me versus the world or me versus anybody else. I've done that in times when I've used the standards of judgment of this world to judge other people. To make myself, to build myself up and make myself feel better. I've done it then. For those things, I repent. And I lay them at the feet of Jesus and I say, I want to be a citizen of your kingdom. A kingdom that looks different than all that. That gives us different standards to look at people with. That gives us different ways of acting and loving. That gives us ways of not having to worry about ourselves all the time. Real quick. Um, I, this couple weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go with our, our teens here, uh, down to Denver to work with dry bones. And a lot of y'all hear me talk about dry bones a lot. This is a ministry that's near and dear to my heart. Um, they work with homeless young people in, in downtown Denver, which is a, a large population by the way. And it was an incredible opportunity for me to walk alongside some of our teens just to get to know these people on the street. And I was convicted like I am every time I'm there, but this way, this time in a special way, as I sat on, like literally on the street and had conversations with people who made that their home, who had, uh, who have largely been ignored and looked down on, who have been treated as less than human, who have gone through things that I cannot even begin to understand. Things from their family, from 
officials around them, from people just walking down the street. They'd been treated in, in ways I can't imagine. And I sat there listening to that and listening to their experience and watching them go through it at, at certain times during the week. And I thought, oh my goodness. The, the systems that we have in place are broken. Yeah, there's some of them that are very good and we do some things very well in our world, but I'm a person that's always kind of trusted the systems. And I watch them leave out a whole group of people and I know they're not the only ones. That the, the ground I always thought was kind of a level playing field isn't a level playing field. And so I start praying about and thinking about in what ways have I added to that? In what ways have I added to the brokenness in our world? That's been a hard reflection for me, but an important one. And so, yeah, we acknowledge the kingdom among us. Uh, We repent, all of us, um, and turn our hearts towards God. But then when when you're asking the question, what do we do? And, And this is something we've talked about, I think, a lot as a part of our faith family here at Riverside, but... I think maybe the most important thing that we can tangibly do, um, and I could be wrong, there could be others, but this feels true to me this morning, is that we remember and we acknowledge and we practice um, that every person is a person of immeasurable worth. Yeah, I was struck the other morning, I was telling Jason this story just this week, but um, the other morning I was, we were having breakfast with our kids, getting ready, this is back during school actually, and and our kids were telling us about their friends and their names, and I was getting confused. And so I was like, you know, tell me about this, this, this kid or this guy or this girl. And if you don't know me, we have three children in our home. We have Will, who's nine, Ella Grace, who's eight, who I get confused sometimes, is seven. And uh, Emma, who's five, uh, they keep growing, so their ages keep changing. Um, but anyway, so they're telling me about their friends, and I'm trying to figure out, you know, what, what they're like and who they are and which name goes with which person. And... And they keep, I'm like, well, tell me what color, you know, eyes they have, or are they tall or short? Um, are they, what color is their hair? And, and we're asking all these questions. Tell me about, you know, who is this kid? Who is this kid? And then finally, just in their frustration of trying to describe people to us, uh, they started using words about their skin. And in our home, we had, we'd never, I, I don't know why, but we've never talked about people in terms of black and white or whatever. And so they came up with their own terms, and it was kind of, it just kind of struck me. They're like, yeah, 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 this kid's got dark skin. And this kid has light skin. And I almost kind of just choked to myself like, oh, our kids don't even have a language for this. And I thought, man. You know, know, because our kids, you know, probably like most of your kids who have little kids at least. um, I hope this is true. Maybe this isn't true. I don't know. But they really, because they've always had friends of every color, they've never thought about and categorized people according to their color. It's not that they don't see color. They see color. They just see themselves as a part of a color spectrum of which they're a part. And so they see people. All people is people of immeasurable worth. They see every person as a person. And I wish I could protect that and not let them grow out of that. Because I think in our children, that's how our children operate. That's, that's their default OS. But as we grow up, I don't know when it happens or how it happens, but it changes. And I hate that because there's something uh, that is so familiar with Jesus about how he saw people 
all people as people of immeasurable worth. And so he didn't just talk about loving your neighbor. He loved his neighbors. He didn't just talk about caring for, uh, for the sick. He touched lepers. He didn't just talk about, you know, weeping with those who weep. He, he saw the woman and her son going through town, and he raised him back from the dead. He went over and touched the dead body and raised the man back to life. You know, Jesus didn't just talk about people and about their immeasurable worth, but he actually, well, he lived it out. And I think for us, there's the calling in, in us today. And, and if I could call us as a church into, into something today, it would be that. It would be in participating in making things on earth as they are in heaven. And one way we do that is that we see people and we see their immeasurable worth and we love them and we encourage them. And maybe that means we even go out of our way to do that. This past week, we lost an incredible man of this church, Jimmy Gell. And Patsy, I think you may be here today. And I was telling her, I don't know that anyone in my short time here has written me more letters of encouragement than Jimmy. They're stacked up on my desk. I, you know, he's given me papers he's written. And every time I saw him, he came, he, he touched me, shake my hand, touched my arm, encouraged me. I know the same was true for Jason. Same was true for so many of you. He had that ability. I, I, wish, I wish it was something that was contagious that we could just spread of being able to see people and their value. It's, it's my friend uh, whose name is Rob Brown who lives in another city, another state. But every time I go out to eat with him, he'll never choose what he wants to eat. He'll, he'll get the waiter or waitress over to their table. He'll get to know their name and he calls them by name. And then he asks them what is their favorite thing on the menu and he'll order that. It doesn't matter the price. Like he wants to get what they like the best because he wants to know that, that, that he sees in them value. And he wants to befriend them and he wants to care for them. He wants to know what they like. And so he'll eat that food. And every five seconds, that waiter or waitress is checking on him and checking on us and seeing if he likes it or not. And it just amuses me. But he has this ability, this, this knack of, of going out of his way to love and to encourage people, even the people at the restaurant who are waiting on his table. And, and I think about today, how do we do this? Maybe it's as simple as going to your next door neighbor and knocking on their door and seeing how they're doing you know, do we even know our neighbors anymore? Do you know who lives to your right and to your left and across the street? And, and, and seeing how they're reacting to the pain in the world around us. Maybe it is when you go to lunch today, you not only, you know, place your order, but, but you get to know their name. And maybe you tip extra, not because you want to be generous, but because you want to say, you want to communicate value. Maybe it's finding ways, ordinary, everyday ways for us to go out of our way. You know, this is one of those, those things we talk about, Jason, but to like practice it, it's, it's radical, you know? I, I mean, I know in Denver you experience this. I mean, one of the most common things we hear from our friends in Denver is how invisible people feel. And when you say radical, I mean, yeah, it can call us to do small things like tip and all. The, it can call us to much bigger things as well. So be open to it. Be open to what God is, is calling you to. And I want you to hear something from, from Corey and I. I think I can speak for Corey, right? Maybe. Get ready. Um, from Corey and I, we're, we're not sitting up here as people that have all the answers. No. Can, I, can I say that? Yeah. Okay. Um, we're not sitting up here as people that have all the answers. We simply do not. We are, we, are, uh, we are people who have devoted our lives to following Jesus Christ. And we're trying to, in the midst of some really crazy times in our world, search for Christ's answers to some of these things and to what Christ is calling us to. And that can often be very difficult. And, and I think we're at a time where we are being called into some hard conversations 
and some hard reflection about who we are. And so I challenge you not to fight that, not to fight the spirit as the spirit tries to bring that in you, um, not to set up walls and try to fend off that kind of, that kind of thinking, but, but rather to, to really open your hearts to, to, to humbly admit that we don't have all the answers right now and to seek God's answers um, to those things. One of the things that we're, we're very convicted by as, as we talk about the, the parable of the mustard seed are Paul's words in, in Philippians, uh, Philippians 3, where he calls the people there out of, um, out of kind of their, their conforming to the world around them and conforming to the, each other in some ways. And he, and he tries to, to encourage them uh, to be distinctive in some powerful ways. And, and in verse 20 of, of chapter 3, he says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. That our faith, that our citizenship is not in the the kingdoms of this world, but in the kingdom of heaven. And that should shape how we react to things like the things we're seeing right now. That's right. Church, if you would stand with me. Uh, Today, what I want to encourage you with as we close is that we would be the people of God. And that we would, as the people of God, turn our hearts towards God. And that we would look to him and to his word for the answers and the comfort and the wisdom and the direction that we need and that we seek, uh, that we would be people that look there first. I know it's tempting to turn on CNN or Fox News or whatever you watch. I know it's tempting to go to Facebook and Twitter to find your answers. But as people marked through the waters of baptism with Jesus Christ, May we remember who we are. And may we remember where our hope comes from and who our hope is in. And may we, like our Savior, love people the way he first loved us. Let's sing.